This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Dear God, we just thank you for this food and thank you for your nourishment of life for our body. We thank you for this meal together as a family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God, I'm praying for my family right now. We're all sick and we need your healing. God, I pray for this presentation today that may go well. Whatever the outcome is, just have it be your will. All right, God. So I know I'm not really ready for this test, but please help me not to fail it. God, thank you for good friends, for giving me the strength and the friendship that I need. Today is going to be so hard. God, I need your strength. Lord, please help my parents stop fighting. Lord, thank you so much for my grandparents. God, give me the strength to get my family through this. God, I'm so happy. I pray that you would bless our marriage. Now, I believe that you will never be passionate for prayer until you are passionate for the one to whom you are praying. Passionate prayer is more than just being loud or demonstrative. It is more than just sounding like a Pentecostal or a charismatic. I believe that sometimes passionate prayer can be quiet and even silent. Passionate prayer is expressed through the condition of the heart. We will never be truly passionate in prayer or for prayer until we are so passionate for God that we dread the thought of being away from his presence. Now, we may look the part, we may put on the prayer cadence that we learned from our charismatic or Pentecostal friends or pastors. We may say all the so-called right things, but until we pray because we actually want God to hear us and for him to respond to us and not to pray so that we can be seen or heard by other people, we are truly missing out on everything God has for us in prayer. Now, there's a passage of Scripture in the Gospels where Jesus says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. His comments seem to be echoing what was prophesied in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And it reads like this. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules. They have been taught so they're going through the motions they're doing what they've been taught but there's a disconnect they have no vibrant passionate personal relationship with Jesus Christ so when we talk about being passionate in prayer what we're really dealing with is a passion for God in Revelation 2 4 Jesus says says to the church in Ephesus yet I hold this against you You have forsaken the love you had at first. Well, the question is, what does first love look like? And how can I tell if I no longer have it? How can I tell if I've lost it? Well, think of it this way. When you first began dating your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend, what were some of the nice things you would do for them? What are some of the things you would say or not say to them? Well, if you no longer do some of those nice things that you once used to express your love and affection, then maybe you, in fact, have lost your first love. Or maybe you no longer have a filter on your mouth and you simply let it fly, so to speak. Then maybe you've lost your first love. Now, when Karen and I were first dating, we went on a lot of couples dates or group dates. 
One particular friend of mine, Dan, and his girlfriend would go on a lot of these dates with us. Some were quite elaborate and well-planned dates. On one such outing, Dan and I found a small, empty building with a stage where we set up a meal. I think it was Valentine's Day of whatever year it was, and we blew up balloons, and we hung them in the shape of a big heart. Romantic, huh? (laughs) So we picked up the girls from their dorm. We blindfolded them. We drove them around for a while. And then we escorted them into the small building where we showered them with all the finest that two poor Bible college boys could afford. (laughs) I believe this was the particular date that Dan and I worked several odd jobs to save up enough money so we could buy the balloons, so we could buy the food, so we would have gas in the car. But you know what? We made them feel celebrated. They were surprised. They were nervous because they didn't know where we were taking them. But guess what? They had a good time, and so did we. This is just one illustration of some of the silly things we might do when we're in love. So what's the point of telling you this story? It's to illustrate that my level of passion and love are displayed through my actions. You can tell someone all day long that you love them, but if you never talk to them or spend time with them, or if you withhold love and affection from them, then you may need to question your declaration of love for them. Now, hold on. I hope you wore your steel-toed boots or shoes this morning. But we can easily do this on Sunday mornings and our worship services. It is so easy to express our love and our dedication to Christ when we're standing in this auditorium. It's easy to tell Jesus how much you love him when you feel moved by the worship music. But what might be more difficult is to express that same level of love and commitment after you've lost your spouse, after you've lost a child, after you've been laid off, or when you receive receive some other distressing news. Some of you tell Jesus you love him at church, hang on, and then go out to lunch and badmouth the pastor. Not me, of course, but somebody else. Now, the Apostle James tells us in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 10, out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. If you say you're passionate about Jesus, who is the head of the church, but you mistreat or malign his body, the church, then you deceive yourself about your love level. God calls us to be passionate about prayer, and the only way that our prayer can be genuine is to be passionate about our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the word passion in New Testament Greek is pathemo. It means the capacity to feel strong emotion. Well, how does this relate to prayer? God has privileged us to have a capacity for feeling, a great capacity for emotion, We can use this emotional response to pray passionately for other people, to pray for difficult situations, or even to pray for ourselves. So you might ask, well, what does passionate prayer look like? I believe to get a good picture of what passionate prayer looks like, all you have to do is look at the life of Jesus. The disciples only asked Jesus to teach them one thing, not how to preach, not how to witness, but they asked him to teach them how to pray. Now, let me give you 10 practices of prayer 
that are modeled by Jesus. First of all, practice number one, Jesus believed that prayer works. Matthew 21, 22 says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. We often read biographies about great people in order to learn the secrets of their lives. Why are they so successful? Why are they so effective? When you read the biographies of Jesus' life, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you learn one of the greatest secrets, one of his greatest secrets. Jesus modeled prayer. If he prayed, we need to pray. If he needed time alone with the Father, then we need time alone with God. We need to do what Jesus did. Sometimes our motivation to pray is diminished because we doubt that our prayers will be answered. We doubt that there will be any impact at all, even if I pray. The devil would like you to believe that. He wants you to believe that your prayers will be ineffective. He says, prayer doesn't work, so why pray at all? Now we link, and listen to this, we link all too frequently prayer requests and answered prayer, and we miss the main point of prayer. The main point of prayer is conversation, dialogue, the building and the maintaining of a relationship with the God of the universe who loves us. So if we reduce prayer to nothing more than asking for things, we are no different than a spoiled child who demands things of their parents. Practice number two, praying did not make Jesus passive. James 2, 14 through 17 says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Jesus does not separate faith from action. Jesus prayed and he healed. He believed and he acted. He preached and he lived. Prayer is never an excuse for failing to act, for failing to respond, for failing to do the good works that God has called us to do. Unfortunately, we often use prayer as an excuse to sit on our laurels, to do nothing. In fact, it sounds so spiritual to say, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to pray for you. But it's highly hypocritical to have the tools and resources to do something about it and then not to act. In the words of the preacher John Wesley, he says, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Like Jesus, we should pray as though it all depended on God, but act responsibly and obediently as though it all depended on us. Practice number three, Jesus prayed alone. Mark 1.35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. It was typical of his life. As the Bible says, it was his custom or it was usual for Jesus to go to the Mount of Olives 
and to other isolated places to pray. Prayer for Jesus was not an afterthought. Prayer was at the center of his life. Jesus prayed because he needed to pray, which would beg the question of us, if Jesus needed prayer, why do we think that we can go without it? We need to treat prayer as a first priority and not as a last resort. Solitary prayer avoids attention, spiritual pride, and showing off. And for more on that, you can look at Matthew chapter 6. When we pray with others, excuse me, when we pray with others, it's easy to pray to others. Hear that again. When we pray with others, it's easy to pray to others, thinking it matters more to us what they think than what God thinks. Practice number four, Jesus prayed with others. Matthew 18, 19, and 20 says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus practiced what he preached. He not only prayed alone, as we just discovered, but he also prayed with other people. He, excuse me, he balanced private prayer with corporate prayer. Luke 9.28 says, about eight days after these words, he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. I want to make a statement here, and I want you to listen, and I want you to process this one. This will be a great statement to process all week long. Our relationship with God is personal, but not private. Our relationship with God is personal, but not private. Jesus balanced his personal relationship with the Father with the community aspects of prayer. In other words, Jesus not only encourages us to get alone to pray, he also wants us to pray with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now let's read Luke 18, verses 10 and 11. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. So you have a religious guy here, and then you have a guy who is kind of an outcast of society. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, Raiders fans. Oh, Somebody must have put that in my notes. <laughs> Sorry about that. Or even like this low-life tax collector over here. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Jesus pointed out that not only was this guy arrogant, but that he stood by himself. I think this is an intentional jab at an individualistic and private approach to prayer. We all need each other, folks. We're a body. We need one another. Next, we have practice number five. Jesus prayed before meals. Mark 6.41 says, Taking the loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Now, there's a teaching out there that says this. If you pray with your eyes open, God doesn't hear you. 
Well, if that's true, then the father was not listening to Jesus because he looked up to heaven and he prayed. So obviously that theory, that teaching is debunked, right? Based on scripture. God doesn't care if you have your eyes open or closed. Your mom and dad might. The pastor might. But God doesn't. So Mark 6, 41 again, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. Let me tell you a little story, or a story about little Billy. Little Billy and his family were having dinner at Grandma's house. You love dinner at Grandma's house? Grandma's, you like having grandkids at your house? Yeah. Everyone was seated around the table as the food was being served. Then little Billy, when he received his plate... He started eating right away. Billy, wait until we say our prayer, his mother scolded. I don't have to, the boy replied. Of course you do, his mother insisted. We always say a prayer before eating at our house. Well, that's at our house, Mom. But this is Grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. (laughs) Sorry, Moms. Praying before meals is a good thing. It reminds us that we are the beneficiaries of God's blessings. Now, with that said, let's not make prayer at meals a do-or-die activity. But let's not ignore its importance either. Be thankful for all the benefits and blessings that God has provided. Let me give you four thoughts about praying before you eat. First of all, pray but don't preach. Be brief and to the point. Number two, be sincere and don't be stale. Use variety. Number three, in public, be a witness, but don't be a show-off. And finally, number four, in public, don't pray if you aren't going to leave an appropriate tip. So when you go out to lunch today, Make sure you pray and give a good tip. I've been told that generally speaking, the smallest tips left at restaurants on Sundays are by the church crowd. Not you guys. Some some church down the road. But don't be a positive witness in your praying and a negative witness in your tipping. Amen? All right. Practice number six, Jesus offered thanks. Matthew eleven twenty five 25, and 26 says, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. He set for us a model that we should follow. Failure to give thanks reflects on the condition of our relationship with God. If we are not thanking God, we are probably unaware of God's merciful and generous provision for our lives. So why give thanks? I believe it's only good manners to return thanks for a kindness done to us. It is courtesy, politeness, and acceptable behavior for those who have been the recipients of favor, kindness, and blessings to say, thank you. Somebody gives you something, what do you say? Thank you. And how much more the blessings the Father gives to us. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you for a job. Thank you for a car. Thank you for a place to live. Thank you for a 
tremendous church. Amen. All right, I've lost my place. So anyway, we're going to just move on to practice number seven. Jesus sang some of his prayers. He sang some prayers. Mark 14, 26 says, Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Most likely, this prayer song was the traditional Passover hymn from Psalms 113 to 118, also called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel in Hebrew, which means praise, is a Jewish prayer, a verbatim quoting of Psalms 113 to 118, which is used for praise and thanksgiving. Singing hymns and prayers was part of Jewish tradition. Did you know that there are no less than 575 references in the Bible to praise, singing, and music? Must be important. Practice number eight. Jesus prayed before making important decisions. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 says, One of those days Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So why is praying before big decisions important for us? Well, I think to know God's will and to know God's purpose for our lives, we must know God. It seems so practical. It seems so basic. But if you want to know God's will, you've got to know God. You've got to spend time in prayer. You must spend time in his word to get to know him. And guess what? You must spend time in church. And all of you are. That's great. It really is. So how does this apply to us? I think it's easy to go through life making all sorts of decisions without ever considering what God may want in each of those circumstances. I want you to consider this. There are two records of our decisions that present a clear picture of what is important to God. Our checkbooks and our calendars. Our checkbooks and our calendars. These two documents reveal whose will and whose purpose we are trying to accomplish with our time, our talent, and our treasure. And then practice number nine. Jesus prayed for his disciples. In the prayer recorded in John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples and he prays for us too. Jesus prayed for the ones he was most invested in. His practice affirms our natural inclination to pray for those who are closest to us. His prayer is that we will fulfill his great command to go into the entire world to make disciples of all nations. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. And we are empowered to be a witness to the world. And finally, practice 10, Jesus continues to pray for us today. Hebrews 7.25 says, And so Jesus is able now and forever to save from the punishment of sin all who come to God through him because he lives forever to pray for them. Now, allow me to break down the last part of this verse that says he lives forever to pray for them. First of all, the word he. Obviously, we're talking about Jesus. He stands in the gap making petitions to the Father on our behalf. He is our representative. He is our mediator. The words live forever. This speaks of Jesus' permanence and authority in the role that he fills. 
Jesus never stops praying for us. The word's to pray. The word here means to meet, to approach, to appeal, to make petition, to intercede. Intercession involves Jesus' representation of his people at the throne of God. Through Christ, believers are able to draw near to God in prayer. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't know what to pray for. Or I don't know how to pray for what I'm supposed to pray for. I don't even know how to pray. But Jesus does. And he goes before the Father with our concerns. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, In the same way the Spirit himself helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now, wait a minute. John, you just said that Jesus pray for, pr- prays for us, but now you're saying that the Holy Spirit prays for us. So which is it? Yes. It's both. Well, think about it. The Holy Spirit indwells each and every believer, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray... We are working in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and he takes those prayers to Jesus who then takes them to the Father. That's kind of the way that I picture it. So it's both are interceding for us. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And finally, the words for them. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is praying for us, as we've already established. He lives for that relationship with the Father, and he keeps you and me in mind as he communes with God. When we pray, we join a prayer meeting that Jesus is already leading on our behalf. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but when you join Jesus in prayer, you're joining a prayer meeting that's already, it's already in session. He's already talking to the Father about you and about your situation, about your grief, about your pain, about your happiness even. Now in closing, let me leave you with this thought. As we incorporate these practices of prayer that have been modeled by Jesus, when we put them into our lives, then and only then will we see the power of prayer become a living reality in our lives. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.